Genre. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. My guest today is Scott Corelli and Scott, the only way we'll be failures is if we never try to remake Heart and Souls. So Scott, sure. <laughs> yes. Is Heart and Souls a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? You know, it 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 hasn't. It I would bet it probably wouldn't unless I'm the one who does it because I don't think anyone's <laughs> clamoring uh, for a remake of this movie. But uh, it should be remade because uh, I think there's a lot of potential for a remake. I I would I think the thing about this though is that it's the kind of movie that if they were to remake it today, they'd probably make it a TV show, which I think is a mistake but that's probably what they would try to do. Yeah, I don't know. I think it needs to be, A, it needs to be a movie, but I think it is perfect for a remake. I don't understand why this isn't a remake in the same way that, oh no, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Oh, oh, A Star is Born. A Star is Born. A Star is Born gets remade every 20, 30 years. Yeah, but those are all hits. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know. Yeah, those are all hits, and so they have, it has like, you know, it's it's IP, and like, oh, people are like, oh, I know, I know what that is. No one remembers Heart and Souls. This movie might as well not exist. <laughs> you know, I like, it, it's like it was never made, despite the fact that it was directed by the guy who directed Tremors. Okay. Yes, I know. Why? He did Tremors. <laughs> He did Tremors, then he did City Slickers, then he did Heart and Souls, a movie that no one remembers. Yeah. People should remember, well, not no one. Like, I literally mentioned to a couple friends uh, who are older than me. I was like, oh, I'm going to be talking about Heart and Souls. And they're like, I haven't thought about that movie in forever. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, this is the thing. I grew up with this movie. Like, I, I think that I had forgotten it for a long time. And then I remember getting, like, a flash of a memory from this movie and being like, Wait, what was that movie? I used to watch that all the time. And then I like looked it up. I finally figured out what it was and I rewatched it like a, a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh, like the wave of, of nostalgia. It was just like watching this movie made a lot about my personality make sense, about the <laughs> kinds of movies that I enjoy, my obsession with afterlife, like bureaucracy. And and like world building, all of that stuff, I think, comes from heart and souls. Yeah, it was just really weird revisiting it after having probably not seen it in 25 years. Yeah, I've done a couple of those not seen in 25 years movies. Like the one that always springs to mind is I did a movie called Savannah Smiles, Hmm. which is a movie that like no one's ever heard of. And I think the most famous actor in it is the guy who went on to play Mr. Miyagi. Oh, like, it, but it was incredibly sweet and a general, genuinely nice movie that still had like some political things that you're like, oh yeah, no, police are bad; they'll just kill us. Oh. And it, and it was one of those things where I mentioned to a couple of people, and, it, and like I just literally watched like the memory resurface through like decades uh, from their past. So I don't know. Every once in a while, I think it's good to go and cover one of those movies. And the fact that one of those movies was also last week is not relevant. 
<laughs> yeah. The Candidate has, is a different kind of nostalgic movie, not not this kind of nostalgic movie. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I, I want to say that, like, you know, this is a movie that was... Oh, and this is the other thing. It's like when I rewatched it a few years ago for the first time in 25 years, I was like, I, I when I found it, I was like, that was Robert Downey Jr. Like, because <laughs> I, I'm, I am positive this is the first time I had ever seen Robert Downey Jr. in anything was watching this movie. And huh. yeah, it was a thing where my parents, we had two VCRs. And we would go to the library and they would get whatever was new that came out. They would wait around for them to put the new stuff out, take a, take every all of it, rent it, and then tape whatever could be taped, whatever was a copy protected. And this was not copy protected because Universal didn't copy protect their movies. <laughs> and yeah, we watched it and I just like instantly fell in love with this as a kid and would just watch it over and over and over and over again on our pirated VHS of it. I could see how that would be uh, personality forming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I was like eight when this came out, you know? So, like, yeah, that's literally when your personality forms, I think, is around that that age. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, like, I remember I texted you when I was watching this movie, and, and, like, I'm half an hour into the movie, and I'm just, like, sobbing. And I'm just like, why would you do this to me? (laughs) Yeah, this movie, I will say this. This movie has a very weird structure. Um, yes. Yes. Because it's like it has it has two act one, act two, act threes. Like, yes. The first half hour has its own like it is two uh, movies. Yeah. It's own three act structure. And then the back half of the movie has a three act structure. It's very strange in that way for, for I, I guess for people because this is hard to find. Sam. Sure. Why don't you tell everybody what this movie's about? That makes sense. Thank you, also host Scott Corrales. <laughs> hey, tis uh, the season. <laughs> absolutely. I should warn uh, audience that we are currently recording. Scott is recording separately in a, in a separate location, which would have happened anyway, but partly because I have COVID. So if I sound different and weird or I get short of breath, that's why. Mm-hmm. So, Heart and Souls, the basic premise of this movie... We'll get to in about half an hour. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> the, the movie starts by introducing us to four different characters. Penny, Julia, Harrison, and Milo. Penny is a wonderful mom who's tucking in her kids before going to work. Julia is a young lady working as a waitress at kind of like a comedy club in the city. Mm-hmm. I, Which York, great, right? great attention to detail that I had never noticed before is that the comedian on stage, because this is 1959, by the way, 1959 San Francisco. Yeah, he's doing a big bopper. He's doing a knockoff yeah, yeah. of the big bopper. Right, right, right. Which is like what like amateur comedians did is they just stole other people's jokes and performed them at comedy clubs, which is like you could never do that now. Um, yeah. And so it's crazy. It, it's just crazy to think of that, a time when you'd be like, oh, he's doing a cover of this famous comedian's <laughs> joke. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's where Julia works. Yeah. Penny is play is paid by Alfie Woodard. Julia mm-hmm. is played by the closer. Uh, Kyra Sedgwick. Uh, Kyra Sedgwick. Kyra or Kira? Uh, I think it's, I think it's Kyra. Ky- Kyra. I thought it was Kira know. Sedgwick. It's, Maybe it is Kira. It's K-Y, so it's confusing. Agreed. But, so then, oh, I just realized, 
she's in this, directed by the director of Tremors, which starred her husband, Kevin Bacon. So oh, there's that's funny. That'd be yeah, there's some fun connections yeah, there. Yeah, a fun connection, actually. <laughs> um, and then we also meet Harrison, a guy who is trying to audition for a Broadway play. He's trying to sing. And we find out that he did this last year and couldn't do it. And this year, this music starts playing and he can't make himself sing. Mm-hmm. And then Milo is uh, robbing the mob or robbing a, an asshole old man. Yeah. Um, who, some stamps. Who... To, yeah. Right. His is actually the most complicated because, like, he's trying to rob an old man to get a, a, a sheet of those upside down airplane stamps back so you could give them back to the kid he stole them from. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So basically, um, meet I, those four. Yeah, and and Harrison is Charles Grodin, and uh, Milo is uh, the the late great uh, Tom Sizemore, recently yes. late uh, yes. great Tom Sizemore. All four of these people, ha- we get their introductions, and then they independently each get on this bus, and then mm-hmm. the bus driver, who is played by David Paymer, mm-hmm. uh, gets distracted by a man feeling up a woman in the car next to them, and he. Oh no! I'm so sorry. Uh, I miss the fact that a, a husband comes home to his wife and his wife is giving birth and he's rushing to take her to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so and, and so that car is happening. The bus is careening out of control. It And then instead of hitting the, the couple with the baby, it it goes off of the side of a wall and crashes. And and the five people on the bus die. And all right. and the four I introduced first, everyone except the bus driver, are like, oh, man, that was weird. I'm glad we're all OK. And then they watch the bus driver just kind of ascend and disappear into the sky. Yes. At which point the four of them kind of rise up and the woman in the car just give, gave birth and they basically rise up and then get sucked into the baby. Yes. Part one, or act one of part one complete. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah. part two is all four of these ghosts are now kind of attached to the the baby robert downey jr thomas riley and mm-hmm. the baby can see them and, and can't interact with them they're ghosts but is the only person who can see them and they're like playing with the baby and they're kind of figuring out the rules of their world mm-hmm. and the baby grows up and he's like seven eight years old mm-hmm. they're all tethered to him so they can't be further than like 20 feet away from him yeah. or they just start being dragged away toward wherever he is for comedy purposes and it yes. always amused me <laughs> yes, it was pretty good. Yeah. I, genuinely, I was watching it, trying to figure out how they did it. And I was like, nah, I mean, they're doing it with like fishing wire or whatever, but they're doing a very good job. Like it generally yeah. works for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that really funny bit where where they're all in the hallway and they're and, and Robert Downey Jr. walks away, storms off. And they they all are like taking a bit to like think about the information they've just received. And then they all get sucked back. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the first time you see it and it's not just Milo, which is what I'd been waiting to happen. Yeah. It was good. It was really good. So basically, they're with this kid and they're this kid, like they're with this kid all the time. And like, if you're yeah. a seven, eight year old and you have like a group of four adults who care about you and entertain you and are just around you all the time, like, of course, they're going to be your best friends and you're not going to meet anyone else. Right. But that also is, so that's bad developmentally and also bad because he's not meeting kids. As, so he's not meeting kids at his age. And also he's only interacting with people that no one else can see and no one else believes exists. Yeah. So and the it, the uh the kid, the the young um Robert Downey Jr., the 7-year-old one, uh, the one we see go to school and uh get get abandoned in a second. Um <laughs> he is uh he's he's uh, uh uh played by the kid who played 
Charlie in uh, the Santa Claus. That might not mean anything to you, uh, nope. Sam. But the Santa Claus, which is a really great movie, and actually, it's really funny because the the head elf is uh, is is um, Crumholtz, David Crumholtz. So I I always thought it was really funny that the head elf of of Santa Claus is played by like a very Jewish actor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so wow. it gives it gives it a really uh, uh, fun vibe, and it's the reason why I've never associated Santa Claus with like Christian values. I've always considered him just like kind of like a fairy thing. I think it's because of that movie and, and literally David Crumholtz. Interesting, but uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, he's the kid in the Santa Claus. Uh, yeah. like a year later, so. Uh, basically, like, it ends up causing problems, and Milo kind of, like, convinces the kid to go gamble on the horses, and, like, like, it's like, the kid, the, the guy doesn't want to take the kid's money, but Milo says, my dad will beat me if you don't take my money, and it's, oh. all right, kid, I'll take your money. But that ends up getting back to the parents, and oh. child services show up, and basically the ghosts realize that, like, for this kid to end up growing up to be, a, like, a stable adult, they have to not be the kid's only friends. Mm-hmm. So, in the worst possible way to do this, they wake the kid up in the middle of the night and say, "Okay, we're leaving you forever. Goodbye." And the kid's like, "What?" And you just watch this child half an hour into the movie shatter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the ghosts kind of like make themselves not visible to the kid anymore, which we don't know how they learned how to do that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 something. <laughs> that part um, doesn't really matter. No. Kudos to this kid who is a phenomenal actor in this mm-hmm. in all this whole section. Yes. Phenomenal little actor. I was I I was just endlessly impressed with what he, he's just like a regular uh what's that kid from the room or not the <laughs> oh. room, room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whatever uh, that kid's name is. Yeah, whatever that kid. Jacob Tremblay. Yeah. Good job. So, He's like he's like uh, 1993's Jacob Tremblay. And so anyway, so that is half an hour into the movie. Yeah. So now we get to the premise of the movie. The premise of the movie is at Robert Downey Jr. is living his life being an 80s uh, uh, an 80s businessy guy. And he 1993, is ha- 1993, 1993, fine. 1993 <laughs> business guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't know it yet, but he's haunted by these four ghosts. Mm-hmm. And we're going to find out that his... That they, that they all need him to help them resolve their lives so they can move mm-hmm. on to the next world. Because when they made themselves invisible, they're still tethered to him. So yep. they've just been following him around for the past 30 years completely invisible and it's a real bummer it's a real yeah. it's a real bummer um and they just the four of them just hang out and they just like sit on his car when he's driving and you know they just follow him everywhere and it's and and so at the beginning of the 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 act the movie movie part of this yeah <laughs> the, the start of the movie that we were pitched yeah robert downey jr still can't see them and they're all kind of living their own lives. Robert Downey Jr. is like doing his business thing of showing up in a business and saying, you guys haven't been paying your loans, so we're going to liquidate your company. And then he is having commitment issues with his girlfriend. It's almost like he has abandonment issues. Who can say? <laughs> and he yeah. can say. It literally, they, they literally say, I have abandonment issues. I've always had abandonment issues. It's weird. It's almost like I was abandoned by seven-year-old when I was seven by the four people closest to me in my entire life. I hope that doesn't come back. Uh <laughs> 
And they're kind of just going through those motions. But then the bus driver and the bus, like ghost versions, show up out of nowhere. And the bus driver tells the ghost, all right, get in. And they're like, what are you talking about? What the hell's going on? You killed us. And the bus driver's like, didn't someone show up and explain to you what was going on? And they're like, no. And he's like, oh, my God. Uh, Sorry. And and basically he's like, no, this, this person you're tethered to. You got the chance to, like, resolve your lives. You haven't done that? It's been 25, 30 years. And they're like, we didn't know. And he's like, oh, man. Well, now you got to come with me. And they're like, no. And, uh, and and he buys them some time. He's like, I don't know how long I can get because we are going to eventually need these souls again. You got to talk to the guy and you got to get him to help you to resolve your lives as quickly as possible because you're basically out of time. And they're like, ah! And so. <laughs> yes. The movie can begin yeah. about halfway through the movie. Yes. <laughs> there, at so, this point, there's like 50 minutes left in the movie, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So they figure the, out how to make Robert Downey Jr. able to see them again because they, mm-hmm. they go back to a core memory from when he was a kid and they're all <laughs> dancing and singing together. Mm-hmm. And Robert Downey Jr. sees them, freaks out, drives his car off the side of the road, ends up in the hospital and then ends up in a psych ward, like, runs into a psych ward, and one of the crazy people can also see the ghosts. Mm. And he's like, oh, interesting. I guess they're real. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, in terms of, like, finding a way to convince yourself you're you're not crazy by using a crazy person, wasn't bad. That worked for me. Yeah, I, I mean, it doesn't work for me because it's not... Schizophrenic people aren't magical. Um, I mean, I don't uh, think she was schizophrenic. Uh, Well, she was. She literally walked away talking about the other people that she sees and that no one else sees. That's that's schizophrenic. (laughs) Ah, Fair enough. That's that's movie schizophrenia. Right. Which is a problem, I think. Yeah. Um, But anyway. anyway. (laughs) So anyway, Robert Downey Jr. then goes and uh, fighting and grumbling the whole way, steals the stamps and gets them back to the kid who's now an adult. And Milo Mm -hmm. is set free. I should say that during this whole thing, he's having fights with his girlfriend. He's saying, I'm going to be there for you. But then he has to go do ghost stuff. And then he's he's going to be there for you. But then he has to go do ghost stuff. So he gets the stamps back for Milo. While they're trying to figure out where Penny's kids are, they swing by a... Who was the singer? B.B. Uh, uh, King. B.B. King. They swing by a B.B. King concert, figure out a way to get on stage, and has Harrison sing the Star Spangled... Uh, the starts uh, uh the national whatever. anthem the national yeah. anthem oh my god yeah <laughs> and so then harrison gets set free because he's finally able to sing in front of other people they find about basically penny's kids got adopted two of them got adopted and her son ended up in the foster system and they're basically trying to figure out how they can figure out uh who his son is but basically every time thomas ends up getting arrested he has to deal with this lieutenant and ends up the lieutenant crazy coincidence is penny's son and so at mm-hmm. the very last second penny's able to connect with the son find out that her that her son is doing okay see her granddaughter and then she has to go and then thomas drives out to have julia meet the guy that she tried to she was getting on the bus to go back to in her small town because julia realized she loved him but they find out that the guy basically never got over julia not going back with him mm-hmm. his life completely fell apart he sold the farm and I sure think it implied he moved to a small apartment and killed himself. Yeah, seven years prior. Seven years prior. Or yeah. seven years hence. I, I couldn't decide if, they, if he died seven years ago or if he died seven years after the thing happened. Oh, I think it was seven years ago. Because I, I think that's what Robert Downey Jr. Uh, yells at uh, the bus driver. 
I um, think you're right. Like, he, he died seven years ago. <laughs> and the bus driver's like, wait, what? That wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah, he's like, maybe it's the wrong guy. And he's like, it's not the wrong guy, you asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the bus driver is an amazing, like, skis. Oh, yeah. David David Paymer is, like, one of the best character actors. Like, oh, anytime so he good. shows up, you're like, okay, we're in safe hands. Whatever scene this is, it's going to be great. Yes. Um, uh, but then Julie goes, no, I'm not supposed to reunite with this guy. I'm supposed to make sure that you don't mess up the same way I did. You have to go be in love with your girlfriend. And yeah. and then she gets on the bus and goes, and then Robert Downey Jr. But, goes. But, and- but the bus driver uh, gives a little wink to God. And and they make her corporeal so that she can hug him um, for real before she yeah. leaves. Yeah. And if the guy who was inside the house is still watching, he don't know what he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. But <laughs> but for them, it's a really sweet moment. Yeah. And then Robert Downey Jr. is completely <clears throat> abandoned again. So he's able to go and uh, profess his love to his girlfriend. Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue. Yes. A.K.A. Uh, second Jennifer. From the yes. from the Back to the Future movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. So okay, so that and is that's heart that is hearts. That is heart and souls. So so heart heart and souls was reviewed very poorly when it was uh, first released. Really? And, yes. And oh, the reason was because it was coming out in the cynical nineties, and this mm. movie is couldn't be further the opposite of cynicism. I mean, that's it true. is. It is earnest, so earnest, and uh, lots of coincidence and things that people don't like if they don't like earnestness, you know? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it was just reviewed very poorly because of that. And I we think that there's... We hadn't, as a society, learned to space jam again. No, no, that was that was still a, a few years away. A few um, years. We were so close. <laughs> but I think that the movie, like, largely... I mean, it's it's a it's a uh, it's a surprising acting showcase for Robert Downey Jr., especially this era of Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, this is like a there's a lot of acting happening in this from Robert Downey Jr. You don't Downey think Jr. of soap dish Robert Downey Jr. is do, being able to do this? Yeah, like he does some really impressive character work in this. It's true because yeah. I didn't mention it in in the synopsis, but basically the bus driver tells the four ghosts that they have the ability to possess Robert Downey Jr. and they're like, "This whole time," and he's like, "Yeah, yeah. the guy <laughs> was supposed to explain it to you, but obviously that didn't happen." And so Robert Downey Jr. gets possessed by the four different ghosts and takes on those four ghosts. And there's a moment when Kira Kyra Sedgwick possesses Robert Downey Jr. in a boardroom. And it is incredible. Yeah. 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 He's also really good as Milo, too. He really is. Yeah. Like, it's 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 really, it's really impressive. I think his penny goes a little too hard, and we barely ever see him as Harrison. Um, yeah. Really I just mean, a his singer. Harrison is just uh, nothing. Yeah, right. Which, you know, it's it's Charles Grodin. You could do an impression of Charles Grodin. He's got a lot of things to do impressions of. It's true. And it, the best <laughs> part is that when you're doing that impression, he won't be there. So it's fine. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So what I would like to start with with this is is the fact that, like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with this movie. I so agree with I, that. I think that. You know, largely speaking, I think that there's some questionable stuff like the like the Julia thing. I, I'm like, I I don't like that. It, it like, what is her thing? It, it, like, it's just about him. I don't love that. I don't I like if it's about the guy, then let it be about the guy. But then she turns it around and has it be about him. And then it like 
it takes on this like weird quality where I'm like, she's so close to Robert Downey Jr.'s age. And there's like this weird thing of like, we're slightly entering into the realm of romance here. And it makes me a little like, I don't know. If I this, got that. I don't know. They completely the nailed that too. Like I, when yeah. they hugged, I was like, I don't like this. Yeah. 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 Because, like, it just feels, again, feels a, weird. She's, 30 years older than him, but also, or no, I'm sorry. She's 16 years older than him. How much, how old was she was supposed to be when she died? 16, 17. Oh, I don't know. I actually don't know. Because I think of her as being like the teenager who goes and gets a job in the big city. Yeah. I don't know. Cause it's hard to tell because of how they cast movies back then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's so like, I don't love that. I don't love that both her and Penny, they don't have things that they want to accomplish. They just have, like, information they want. Yeah. And it's not even about them. It's about other people. And, I, and, and so, like, I, I don't love that. So I would like to change those things. But in general, I think the movie really does work and really does hold up. And I think it's a hidden gem from the 90s. Oh, absolutely. I, I genuinely love this movie. Like, this movie was really sweet. I had a great time watching it. For me, I was like, I, I think this movie works largely as a little bit of the time capsule that it is Mm -hmm. for us presumably we'd be bringing it forward in time yes certainly and and just like the act of doing that will change everything like that's that's true i do have an additional thing though please tell me (laughs) because again i don't think there's anything wrong with this movie as is and so if we're going to remake it i want to fundamentally change something about it okay one, I don't like Thomas's job, so I want to change that, and I have a pitch. And uh, two, yeah, that's fine. And two, I think that if we already got the sort of like this is the this is the very like afterlife heavy one that is like very like you know we're talking about the afterlife and their spirits and yada yada. No one ever says the name the the word ghosts in this. They use the term spirits. No, that's not true. Milo says ghosts at least once. Well, yeah, like in a passive way about himself, like a self-deprecating yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. But like they they refer they're like when when the bus driver shows up to tell them the rules, he refers to them as spirits. Okay. You know, that's like the thing and they're guardian angels or whatever they are, you know. So it's all very afterlife kind of vaguely religion based and and if anyone wants to go and look at the poster right now the poster for the movie is robert denny jr walking and these four people literally gazing down at him yes. through a beam of light from heaven right so, and yes. there's and there's halos in the logo correct yeah so my pitch is in in this your first episode of october is let's shift the tone a little let's make it a little less uh, uh, you know, uh, sickly sweet. Definitely, I want to keep some of that. But, but let's make this a, a spooky October, like fun kind of comedy movie. Yeah. Let's lean a little heavier into the ghost stuff. Um, let's make this set at Halloween, and let's just have a little, a little fun with that. And my pitch for Thomas as an adult is that he is. Uh, after everything uh, that happened with them as a kid, at, when he when he was a kid, and and uh, not having them anymore, and being convinced that he was crazy or whatever, he has devoted his life to being a a a famous uh, debunker. Oh, so he debunks like ghosts 
and things like that. Like people who say that they have yeah, like go- has, they has a ghosts. portrait of Harry Houdini up in his office. Totally. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, that's my that's my pitch. I also think that we need way more Anne in this. Oh, his yes. love interest yes. in the movie. So my pitch for her is that she is his producer and they are not dating. And in fact, her opinion on the idea of dating him, because he's kind of like a know-it-all kind of like smug asshole, her pitch is like, no, 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 we're, we're friends. And like, you can even have somebody say like, are you two together? And she's like, absolutely not. And they're like, why not? And she's like, I respect myself way too much for that. Because she's like, yeah, this guy's a dick. But as the movie goes on and he starts devoting his his like you know he's he's willing to like make a fool of himself for these ghosts that he loves that he grew up with to give them the thing that they wanted she's like seeing this other side of him that she's never seen before because he's always been this hard kind of cynic she starts to fall for him and we learn and the ghosts know obviously that she he has had feelings for her the entire time but has never had the courage to tell her because he's like, she doesn't have any interest in me. Not like that. So your pitch for this movie is Heart and Souls meets the romance arc of Groundhog Day. Sure. Yeah, I guess so. But like, uh, and you know, it's funny you say that because I also, my other pitch is that it's a one crazy night. Not one ghost uh, gets out over the course of like a week or however yeah, yeah, long. Yeah, I also think it place. needs to take place in a single day. Like it, it yeah. needs to be a one crazy night because... Like, it literally, I can buy you a day, but, like, we gotta go. Yeah. Because I also think it's important, like, because I, I think most of the first half hour of this movie mo- should really go. It should kind of be, we meet the characters, they die, they get sucked into the kid, we yeah. see the kid, cut to the kid's an adult. Uh-huh. And we learn and, about them leaving later. Yeah. We, we yeah. learn about that stuff. We see, like, pictures he drew as a kid, that sort of stuff later. Because I think you need to have your big tearful goodbye when all four of them get on the bus together and finally they have to say goodbye to this person that they've been with for 30 years. I I, I agree. Um, and so my 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 pitch is like the um, public transportation accident or whatever, because this is the other thing, because I don't know what makes them so special that they get this reward. And so my pitch to fix that is that whatever accident causes their death, his in labor mother is also there and they leap in to protect her from it. And by protecting her and dying in the process, their reward is that they get tethered to this kid for, you know, the presumption of like, you're going to get to, you know, get your earthly shit in order. Yeah. And yeah. So it's like a reward because they sacrifice their lives to save his mother and, you know, him as a result. Yeah, if, if we're doing that, I would just say then the the dad and the mom and the and the in labor mom should be also on the bus, mm-hmm. and basically the four of them, not the driver, right. whenever the bus crashes, like they get in the way and protect them, and the the mother and the father and the now baby are the ones that are the only survivors from the this, yes. this wreck. I, I think that that I think <laughs> that works. Okay. Yeah. In terms of the world building of this, we can have this reveal later on, but I don't like the idea of them turning invisible. Right. But I think it is important to the story for him to be a cynic that they have abandoned him in his eyes. 
However, where how I want to change that up is that when he's a kid and he's drawing pictures of his, of his invisible friends, he's drawing the pictures of the people who literally saved his mother's life. And she's <laughs> like, oh, my God, my son is haunted. And they they have an exorcist come in. And what the exorcist actually does is makes that untethers them from him and tethers them to the house. Oh, no. Okay. All right. And so he can't see them anymore. And then they move away at some point. And then, like, what I have is that, you know, during one of his, like, cynical, like, show recordings or whatever, he gets a notification that the house is on uh, is for sale. And he races down there and is like, I'll take it. Whatever. And it's the first time that they've seen him since he moved away as a kid. And they're like, oh, my God, he's back. And then that's also why the bus driver hasn't been able to find them because he's been going to Thomas and is like, where the hell are they? (laughs) They're not here. They're supposed to be with the kid. Where are they? And it's not until he's in the house with them that he's finally able to find them, the bus driver. And then that's when he's like, they're like, you got to come with me. But like, I can only show up. When like the world, like the the walls between worlds are thinnest, and that's Halloween. So you have until you know sun up on November first, or you're gonna have to wait another year. So it's not like you have to come with me now or else. Shake fist. It's yeah, just yeah. like uh, we all know you guys want to move on. Jesus, like look at you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but like you know, uh, you're gonna have to wait a year. I only show up once a year. Can I add a plus up? Yeah. I think they still can't leave the house unless they're possessing Thomas. Oh, interesting. So then you get to have your lead character go and do these things, but is having to like flip back and forth between themselves and whoever happens to be possessing them at the time. So So they may get drawn into a meeting or a conversation Mm -hmm. with Anne while kind of like trying to like go back and forth between being themselves and this other person at the time. Oh, like all four of them are in him. Oh, I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking one at a time, and he was kept having to go back to the house. Oh, but see, all that's four a, works too. Isn't that annoying though? Like, like cinematically, isn't that annoying to like have to keep going back to the house? My my feeling was that they just retether themselves to him. Yeah, um, I guess. I guess if it's one crazy night, they have to retether themselves to him. Yeah, yeah. And in doing so with the bus driver, that's when they are like, "All right, if you're retethered to him, you get tonight, and that's it." Yes. If, when you're in the house, you're in the house. You're ghosts. You're not spirits. Right, right. But if you're yes. connected to him, you're spirits. You get the day. That's it. Yeah. And then we got to go. So make it snappy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. All right. I, and I, because I also like the idea that, like, the reason that he wants the house is because he remembers them, right? Mm-hmm. And since moving out of the house, again, because he's a big skeptic guy, he has heard stories that every family that has moved into that house has gotten the fuck out of there. And it's because <laughs> they don't want anyone living in that house. So they caught the shit out of them until they leave. And that's what th- that's how they've been spending their time, like while and that, Thomas and is that's gone. Kept happening to yes. the point where finally that's it. It's either it's either Thomas buys it or the house gets demolished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's it's 2023. We don't keep houses anymore. The land that's on is the most important thing. Well, I, it is San Francisco. They do keep a lot of houses in San Francisco. <laughs> Are we setting this one in San Francisco? I think so. I really like that setting. 
Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. I like I like the San Francisco setting. There's not enough cool. movies that take place in San Francisco. I spent the um, whole movie thinking he was in New York. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, the the theater audition is what really sold it for me. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. The theater audition yeah. and she like she she moved to the city to make it. Like that that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's that is true. That is funny in retrospect that this is San Francisco. <laughs> but yeah, so I was thinking, so I'm thinking, yeah, 1980s, vague 80s to to right. yeah, 2023. I mean, honestly, part of me was thinking that like the movie could literally take place in 1993 and then Oh. Well, but then he wouldn't be old enough. He'd be 30. Yeah. That's old enough, that's, Scott. <laughs> I, it's really not, though. And also, I did not cast anyone that young, so go screw. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I also cast a 40-year-old, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, so did I. Because, you know what I've learned? There are no, like, comedic actors in their 30s right now. Like, guys. There's a lot of ladies but there's not a lot of guys. They're all over 40 or like under 25. And I don't know what that is. I had a They're lot of trouble. They're on TV. They're on like the other thing. So like like uh, Dropout is full of them. Dropout. What is that? It's, but they're not like actors. They're the comedic personalities. So it's the it's the college humor people. Oh. So it's like it's all the people who are on like the uh, the Dimension 20s and whatnots. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like you okay. take your, uh, your Brennan Lee Mulligans and what have you. Okay. Oh, that's, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's funny because like one of them, one of the people I do have on my list comes from that, but he's still pushing 40. So yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong, but it's because we keep eliminating the things where those people get found. Yeah, that's true. So, okay. I think we need to figure out what our four people are because we've moved forward so far in time. We moved yes. forward. 40 years in time. So I have, I have two, I have two gender swaps. And I they are, also have two gender swaps. They are reverse gender swaps. They're one, one is, one is woman to man and one is man to woman uh, for me. Yes. Really? Okay. I think so. That's, that'll be, re- I'm, I'm completely blanking on who this person is. Oh. Nope. I, I think I just ended up with uh, three women, one guy. Okay. So so my pitch is one Milo to Mia. Yeah, that was that was my switch. Yeah, Milo to Mia for sure. I really like Milo in this movie. I think he's this sort of like <laughs> the uh like kind of like I don't want to say like harmless but like kind of harmless cuz he never gets to do anything which is like kind of funny. Um and it's just like he's like a pig but like in that harmless kind of like 90s way of like eh, whatever. He's the cad. <laughs> yeah, he's a cad. Yeah. And and so like it's kind of fu- it's fun to watch because he never gets to do anything and yeah. he's just constantly like getting his wind taken out of his sails. Yeah. But I I think that it's more interesting to have a woman and i just i i'm so excited to say who i have playing mia but yeah i just think that mia makes more sense i like i want her to be a con artist instead of a thief because i think con artist is more it's more interesting and i think that i i don't know what it is exactly what the MacGuffin is in her plot but i want them to have to go to a halloween party to do whatever con or reverse con she needs to do to like you know make her life better stamps are very 50s yes extremely 50s and so we'd be looking for something that's very 90s and uh while choker necklaces and (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and grunge jeans are a possibility. We're looking for yeah. something else. Yes. Yes. A solid gold VHS tape. Yeah. Except yeah, not. So- the original yeah. the original slime from Nickelodeon. Yeah. Cuz I think that she, I think that she's like the kind of con artist who, you know, seduces a a hapless guy and like most of the time they're assholes and she just like steals something from them or like a bunch of money from them or whatever and then never hear from her again, right? Um but I think that I think that she did this to some guy and then found out that, like, oh, he wasn't who he said he was, and I literally ruined his life. And he didn't deserve that. He was nice to me. Why did I do that? I'm such yeah. an asshole. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> that kind or, of thing. Or, or, like, the walls started to close in on her a little bit, and she threw her one and only friend under the bus. Some, or so, Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. I just want whatever it is. To invo- to make them have to go to like hide out at a Halloween party. Like I want like Anne and Thomas have to w- to wear Halloween costumes because I want Anne here the entire time because I love the dynamic that Anne can't see them but Thomas can yeah. and that Thomas is the cynic and Anne is a believer. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So that's the other aspect you, of it. And but we don't want Anne to be in on it. In on what? That knowing that ghosts are there. Yeah. Oh, you do. You want her fully in. I want her fully in. She just can't see them. Oh, I misunderstood. I thought it was like, like Thomas is trying to like maintain this like relationship, but with like in a more present fashion, as opposed to I'll check in with you in a couple of hours. Oh no no no! I want her in on the whole thing because she's his producer. You want her to be like. The husband on ghosts, who's like fully in, thinks it's awesome, but is like disappointed that he can't also see the ghosts. Yes. Okay. If that's what you yeah. want, let's do it. Yeah, I think I think it's cool. I think it's a cool because I don't like that she didn't get to know about any of this. Like, yeah, this is such an important part of his life and about who he is as a person, and he's just never going to tell her because he's like, well, she'd think I was crazy, but Arian wouldn't think that. Arian is a believer. And Arian would be like, wait, are you messing with me or or what? And then when he gets possessed the first time, I think that's the moment where she's like, holy shit, this is real. You know? Yeah. I yeah. don't think it's a possessed the first time because obviously he could be a good actor. I think it's going to have to be one of those things where they make him leave the room. And then she does something, writes something down, destroys the piece of paper, does something on the room and the and the... And then he goes back in and the ghosts narrate it. And he's like, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And then she's like, yeah. Oh, okay. Let's see what's going on then. Yeah, for sure. And then he can be possessed and they can be like, no, you did great. Oh, that was so cool. And she's like, what is happening? (laughs) Yeah. Also, you could do a thing where instead of them having to like figure out how to tether themselves to him, you know, he does these like ghost these ghost hunts that he doesn't believe in right but he's done all of this shit before so maybe when you know they're trying to get his attention he sees that it's that he realizes that it's them and they do like a full-on like seance that like re-tether tether them to him and then he can see them but she can't but she was there for the whole like shenanigan like seeing the 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 theatrics of it all you know yeah and, like, he really le- has to lean in and make it as cheesy and schmaltzy as possible. And he does literally all of them at once. And each, like, he has to do at least four different things because they're four different ghosts. So four different things work for four different people. Mm. 
So the Ouija board worked for one. The crystal ball <laughs> worked for another. And like, like, and that's who he gets all four of them. Mm. And in, in, in the, instead of the first one, he's just like, all right, ghosts, I'm in the room, do the thing. And they're like, okay, we, uh, uh, we're, I don't know what you're expecting us to do. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Just, just a really big set piece of like end of act one. I'm getting all these ghosts to be a, a, a part of me again. Yeah. Okay. For sure. So we so, know who Mia is. Yes. Harrison, uh, in the original movie, wanted to go to San Francisco and sing in front of people. Like his dream was to be a singer, An opera or something singer. like that. Opera singer. Yeah. What is that uh, still? Did, did, I, I don't I, think my, that's unreasonable. My, my shift is musical theater. Yeah, I, which is what I assume the first one was. Opera makes more sense, but yeah, I musical theater is fine. I wanted to switch it to musical theater, and I want them to go to a punk club to sing a song from a musical. Um, specifically, I picked The Impossible Dream from Man of La Mancha. <laughs> okay. I have a Man of La Mancha song memorized, but it's not that one. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, you know, uh, the, the Impossible Dream, that's like the big, like, It is boom. the big one. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. big number. That could theoretically win over a punk crowd. Yes. If you really did it. <laughs> Dream the Impossible Dream! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Good. I like that. Um, and there's a big punk scene in uh, in San Francisco. So um, absolutely. Yeah. So then, <clears throat> the, then we get to the two characters that really didn't have stakes within their own life. It was their relationship with other people. Yeah. I'm okay with a parent still being a parent because it it feels weird that no one is connected to their kids and just wanting to know more about their kids. Sure. I just wish there was an additional something like. For example, if Penny had a dream that she wanted, but she's also like, but then I became a, I, I became a mom and like that, they became my life and I had to give that dream up and you know, whatever. And it's good. I just want to know what happened to my kids. And then when she finds her kids or kid, if you want to make it simple, absolutely. Um, one let's kid. just, one's yeah, just one kid. She has two, she has two, she has two daughters. She never even gets to see them because they're in nope. Sacramento. But yeah, uh, so one kid, right? And when she finally does find this kid, um, like her daughter or son, whatever. When the black lady finds the one other black person in the movie. When she finds the other kid, they are doing what her dream was. Yeah. So it's like, I like, so then it's like, oh my God, I didn't get to do it, but my kid got to do it. And like, you know, so it's that that sense of pride, you know, it's not like Penny wanted to be a fucking cop. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was ridiculous. But like, for me, it was very much like, like whatever her dreams had been, like she did focus her energy and she's like, I just got to support my kids. And like, she got fully invested in their kids and then like she disappeared and she's like, that was the only, I... I'd reached a point where they were all I cared about and I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, so I absolutely would love to see her doing that and like then taking the lullaby she used to sing, whatever. Just something yeah. about the kid. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that's good. But what about Julia? Who I assume is the other character you gender swapped. Yes. So Julia, I turned into Julian. This is San Francisco in the 80s. And so what I think is that Julian never told, or, or, or Julius. I have Julius or Julian, one or the other. Julian never told the man he loved how he felt because he was afraid of, like, homophobic rejection. Yeah. And then what he finds out when they track John down is that John is happily married gay, 
happily married out. He absolutely would not have rejected him. He loved him too. And just the, just the knowing that like, okay, like I wasn't crazy. There was something between us. I was just too much of a coward to say anything. Thomas, you can't do that. So, so it's like, John's fine. John moved on with his life. He got married to another guy and they're happy. They have a family. Everything's fine. And so it's not tragic. Right. And, and, but, but Julian is like, I'm so happy that John is fine and that John's gay and that I'm not crazy, but you need to tell that woman that you love her. Good. Yeah. I like that. All right, that's our four. That's that's our emotional through line. What other structures and plots do we need for the movie that you've envisioned? Okay, so I think that the end of this movie is is very sweet, and and you know Julius inspires Tom uh, to to tell Anne how he feels about her, and and his sudden like heartfelt profession of love is what Anne. You know, being sort of like a romantic at heart and a believer, like that's all she needed to know that he's changed. And like, she's totally into it. And after their adventure that night, totally into it. They're together. It's great. They move in together into the house that he bought, right? That he grew up in. And then it's like, oh, and they're like happily ever after. And then there's a knock on the door. And then he goes and he checks the door. And there are there there's a ghost there. And then he looks behind that ghost and there's a line of other ghosts and we'll figure out that the rest of his life is just going to be helping these spirits move on. Like that is what he's going to do forever. And it's like the opposite of, you know, what he was doing as a career, which was like debunking this stuff. And because like one of the things that Anne, I wanted Anne to like sort of butt heads with him over is like he has, he be, he debunks like hucksters, Right. And especially people who are like taking money from people looking for answers. And Anne is like, well, like, is that really what's best for the loved ones of the dead? Like, maybe they want some closure. He's he's taking down the 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 psychic and the shopper when he should just be taking down the psychic. The shopper is clearly a desperate person trying to find help. And he's taking them down with the person, and that that's where Anne draws the line, because clearly this is a person who just wanted something. Yeah, it's too cynical. Yeah. And so having seen that he's changed, and we as the audience seeing that he's changed, because now he cares about letting these people like uh, do the thing that they needed to do and move on. And, and now that's what he does for a living. I mean, obviously he has to do other stuff too to make money, because sure. ghosts can't pay him. But yeah. It's like yeah. that that's like the end of the movie is like and the adventure continues. Never yeah. make another sequel cuz it's not going to be as emotionally cathartic as this one. But not that kind of movie. Not that kind of movie, but you know, it's like we it's already like, have heart and souls. We can't use the s. Like the like that <laughs> right. that trick's gone. Like we could do hearts and souls, but like yeah, that's no, not, we're that's not doing not this. Yeah. Actually, that Best- would be really Oh my god, that's what they call the business. Hearts and souls. Hearts hearts and souls cuz they're the two hearts. Yeah. And those are all the souls. Yeah. I mean, obviously the sequel is really easy. You do heart and souls and then you just take that S and turn it around and it becomes a two. Look, all I'm saying is that the money's <laughs> right there. Why don't we do it? <laughs> and then you draw the money, si- the, the the dollar signs through it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, you know, I just want I want the whole thing to have a a very like Halloween vibe kind of thing, like you know your Hocus Pocus. Where it's yeah. just like that movie is all Halloween vibes, you know, like Casper, <laughs> like those those kind of movies that have just like top to bottom, tip to tail Halloween vibes. Like that's what I want this movie to have. And I think we have that. Okay. All Halloween, all fall. Yep. Super cozy, layers, whole yeah. thing. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hot chocolates, marshmallows, anything yeah. you could ask for. Pockets yeah. full of candy, bur- burgling turts, the whole thing. Perfect. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, then, what other things do we have to get to plot-wise before we get to characters, or maybe jump into characters? I think we can jump into characters. All right, let's do it. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Thomas. Let's talk about who our Thomas is. You mean uh, casting him? Yeah. Okay. So Thomas, I this took forever for me to find a Thomas because I got news for you. There's no one like Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> out there, but Robert Downey That's Jr. True. It's very tough. It's very tough mm-hmm. now. I thought about I, I I toyed with with gender bending him. I also a couple did as of times well. didn't really work. I also think you, there's a creepy factor of a man possessing a woman. Like right. just the sentence alone is bad. Yeah, it feels weird. It feels weird. Yeah. It, Don't so it. so yeah. So I definitely went with an actor. It's an actor that I've used before on your show, but it was like I couldn't think of anybody else. And I, I, I tried a bunch of different people, but I was like, nobody has the range of this guy. No one else mm-hmm. I can think of can do what I know this guy is capable of and yep. what is required by this. Um, so yes. I went with Dan Stevens. Great. Dan Stevens is, uh, I, I cast him as my Flash, I think, in our DC special that I was on. But he was in, he's done a lot of comedy He's the new voice. He replaced uh, Justin Roiland on Solar Opposites as just like he's just using his own voice now. Um, Great. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, it's, you know, he he's a wacky character. Did you ever see um, Eurovision? Uh, no. Oh, really? Oh, man. You would really like that movie. It was oh, no. A, I just watched. I mean, I, a couple of years ago, I watched just Eurovision. Just the, the thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The movie uh, Eurovision, the story of whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Will yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. So good and charming and sweet. You would really like it. But yeah, he's really funny in that. He's just... I've seen him play so many different types of characters since like I I learned who he was watching him in The Guest from 2014. I just think that there's not a lot of guys who would be capable of doing this. And it's very important that you really lean into Thomas's like cynicism and kind of snootiness and arrogance... At the beginning, and not a lot of people can play arrogant and humble, and I think that he could. So that's who I picked. Very curious who you picked, though, because I would be all for switching this if if you pick somebody great. So I also like th- I had a lot of I-, I basically cast everybody else, and yeah. then I went back and was like, "But who's going to play Thomas?" Yeah, and I was like, "I need someone who is funny." sweet serious who we can hate but then learn to love right and i also have used this actor before possibly on episodes with you it's all a wash i don't remember sure but i've i i i've seen him in kong skull island i saw him in the good place he's in loki and it's an actor named Eugene Cordero. In The Good Place, he plays Pillboy. Oh. I first saw him, I've mentioned this show a bunch of times, but I first saw him in Other Space. 
he is a comedian's comedian. He is very funny, he's very malleable, and he can play so many different kinds of characters. He can play top of his intelligence, and he can play straight up dumb. And he is an incredible comedic presence, and he's very, very funny. Hmm. Yeah, and I think he's... I've only I, I I've obviously seen him in Kong School Island because I have seen that movie, but I don't remember him. And I've he's I've... the soldier that gets scared. He's just terrified uh, the whole. Okay, I vaguely remember that. Obviously, I remember him in The Good Place. He's also uh, really get great on uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. I believe that. Yeah, he's also in uh, Mandalorian for an episode. Oh, oh yeah, the, the I farmer. Think I vaguely planet. remember that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that's the sort of guy he is right now. He, like, keeps popping up and just playing wildly different characters and just being a really good character actor, which... I've never... the only My only thing is I've never seen him play Arrogant. That's my only thing. So, like, I don't, I don't know that I would buy him as, like, an arrogant asshole. Just his so eyes are so kind, Sam. My first experience That's true. My first experience with him is he kind of plays a bit of a... He he plays a bit of a sweetheart in other space, but then they get like he and Milana Weintraub get trapped on some planet together for like a day, mm-hmm. and then he ends up having to take his shirt off, and she just like like has one of those moments where he's like, I mean, I'm pretty ripped, and like throughout the rest of the show, anytime he has to talk about himself, he just gets talks about himself in like higher and higher accolades of just like, look. I'm incredibly sexy, but it's important thing is that we're going to die. And just like (laughs) flop back and forth between those two things, because like it doesn't show up in a lot of the things he's in now, but the man is genuinely jacked and it's very funny. He doesn't play immediately. uh, No, he doesn't come off as like Downton Abbey level arrogant like Dan Stevens does. Like, Mm -hmm. Like we don't walk in with that level of arrogance, but he's a character actor and I genuinely believe he can play that. And Mm -hmm. I think that we can aim for where we're trying to get having to end up in the same way that bill murray often starts as being arrogant but sometimes ends up sweet depending on how he's feeling that day <laughs> sure i would push us towards eugene cordero uh okay especially because we're likely going to get most of your the rest of yours oh okay Until we get to the bus driver but whatever Oh, I don't know. Wait till you hear my bus driver. <laughs> <laughs> I For the bus driver, I, there was a brief moment in time I was like, what if we made it Kevin Bacon? And I was like, no, no, no that'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. We can come back um, to this. But. I, I, I also toyed with Donald Glover as Thomas just because like – I def you definitely like he's like kind of arrogant now <laughs> like just yeah. in general and stuff because he's like I'm oh, a, a man who now. is who succeeds at everything he tries to yeah. do I wonder yeah, what I makes him Sh- arrogant I know shocker but I would love to see a movie where he starts off in that personality type where he is currently and then just backtracking back to like community what was his troupe what was his comedy troupe. Um, like mystery team oh, and that uh, 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 Derek comedy, Derek comedy, like just like, you know, just like kind of backtracking back to that era. I haven't um, watched Atlanta, but I don't even know how silly he gets in Atlanta. He, he, he gets he's the straight man in Atlanta. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, but he gets silly in community. I mean, he, he got silly in community. That's he true. doesn't get silly anymore. I guess that's true. Would love to see him get silly again, though. I also, when I was talking about the the gender swap, I don't want to do this because, like you said, it doesn't work. But I thought of Emma Stone because Emma Stone is like 
she's like becoming like a really powerful character actress. Yeah. It's kind of like she it's nuts how good of an actress she is. She's um, so good. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I was like, well, if anyone could do all of the possessing stuff, it would be her. Right. Yeah, but I do think because it works better. Because she does let herself get silly and then also does like the most serious character you've ever totally. seen. Totally. Totally, totally. And it's great and we love it. All right, um, well, let's so yeah. let's go with yours for, for Thomas. Let's talk about Penny next because okay. I don't think we're going to go with my Penny. I just kind of wanted to mention this actress's name and then we'll move on. Okay. So I, I think she would be good. Like I didn't cast her as a throwaway. Like I cast her because I think she would do. It's a different kind of take on a mom in the sense that like she is – I'm not actually sure of her background, but her, she, I most recently saw her uh, in One Piece. In like the first episode, she's playing the Lady Pirate. Um, she's in an episode, a, a few episodes of the Sex Lives of College Girls. She's in Me Time. She's in Queen Pins. It's an actress named Ilia Isores uh, pa- uh, Paulino, mm-hmm. and just like a powerful mom who does would do anything for her kid, but then at the end of the day, died, and now she'd do anything for the kid that she's uh, spiritually attached to. Yeah, I am unfamiliar with her. Oh, yeah, I have never seen her before. I don't think I've watched anything that she's been in. Oh, okay. I remember her from Sex Lives of College Girls, but um, but uh, vaguely. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I just well, like like I said, I I figured that we'd probably end up going with whoever you have, but I I I just think she's a good actress. I think she's hopefully on her way up, and we'll see what happens. So my thought on the ghosts is that you needed to pick people who you could do an impression of. That like would be easily oh, recognizable good. inside of Thomas, right? So I was like, I was trying to figure this out. And obviously I wanted to go with a young Penny like Alfred Woodard was at the time. Because that's when people became moms. And especially in the 90s, like you have this woman who has this dream and then just lets it go because she has a kid and then yeah. becomes, focuses on a mom. She would be a young mom if the if the kid is unexpected, right? So I went with Danielle Brooks. She's oh, from from The Flash. No, no, she's from uh, Peacemaker. Oh, yeah, and Orange is the New Black. She's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great. So I went, yeah. So I went with Danielle Brooks. That's who, that's who I went with. I think she's great, and I think that you could totally do an impression of her. I thought about Quinta Brunson. From Abbott Elementary, but I was like, I don't know what the impression of her is. Other than enthusiasm? Yeah, I guess. She definitely has the Alpha Woodard thing, like a modern Alfre Woodard thing. Cause like, but it's just not the same. It's not it's not quite Yeah. It's not quite Danielle Brooks, where you're like, Yeah, no, I, I totally get her. I um, think Danielle Brooks is the way to go. I, I yeah. think I think she'd kill it. For sure. Great. Okay, Danielle Brooks as Penny. Um we're probably gonna go with your Julius Julian. Also, because I cast a lady, but tell me about uh, your your Julian. It was it, it it screamed at me as so obvious because I can picture him doing all of the things that Julia does in this, and it's Dan Levy. Oh, sure. And if you want someone who <sighs> people have been doing impressions of, yes. for quite some time, absolutely. Um, I just because he he can do sweet. 
and he can do but like little like snide little comments you know also which would be like a fun way to like change up the character a little bit yeah and yeah i just think i think he would be i think he would be great and you would totally believe that he was absolutely satisfied with just being right about john and being able to move on from that you know yeah. just honestly <laughs> just the dan levy of like oh i was right perfect yes great that's all i needed to know (laughs) i knew i was right (laughs) yeah (laughs) good yeah Yeah, perfect um i uh cast an actress who it isn't very well known but uh she's recently been in the first wives club she was in sleepy hollow she was in legends of tomorrow uh this actress is named uh, bailey tippen obviously we're gonna go with dan levy but figured i'd mention her name too yeah nope don't know her not offhand, not by not by pictures. I mean, I watch Legends of Tomorrow, so I'm sure I'm familiar with her. But. She's closer. She's Astra, the uh, the person that Constantine's like. I have to save Astra. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's who she was. Okay, fair enough. I see what you did. I see the the the. You were like, well, I'm going to make Penny not black, so uh, yeah. <laughs> I got to make somebody I, black. <laughs> I definitely did do that. That is yeah. uh, 100% how my brain works. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, that's that's the way every casting person's brain should work. A little bit. Yeah. But th- that brings us to Harrison. So if we're going to be having s- someone singing Man of La Mancha, and mm. I wanted someone who like has big ener- big but small energy mm. and can like vacillate between those kind of things. I, I just think this actor is just very sweet. It's just, I like him. He's been in Stitchers. He's been in Mindhunter. He's been in Shrill. But I know him from Umbrella Academy. Uh, this actor's name is Cameron Britton. He played Cha-Cha, I think, in Umbrella Academy. Of oh, the, the two in the masks in the oh, first season, he's the guy. Yeah. Oh, man. And he's like 6'5". He's so tall. He's um, a large man. He is a large, large man. Yeah, I, I love Cameron Britton. I think he's great. And he is... He's a character guy. Honestly, like, he could be Thomas. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> like, because he is that kind of, he's, like, that good um, yeah. a, of an actor, for sure. Yeah. Um, and he is so disturbing as Ed Kemper on uh, on Mindhunter. Oh, my God. So scary. <laughs> but no. that's exactly, like, well, and to your point earlier of, like, having something that could be imitatable and, like, yeah. having a character affect, he could come up with a character affect for whatever the kind of person he's trying to play is. Like, yeah. And it literally could just be a hunch, just like the the large man trying to shrink himself down to fit in with the world. Yeah, for and sure. And like you could have Eugene Cordero, who also is not short, do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, who did you have? So I, again, in the impression thing, and also I was like, who's a modern day Charles Grodin? <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know. I Well, I, you know, he's not, but I think I got pretty close. I went with Jesse Plemons. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, if he, uh, yeah, if you want us to not trust him and not immediately fall in love with the guy, <laughs> I don't because well, he's gonna have something up up his sleeve. Like, what's he planning? Well, I mean, I don't know. He's pretty lovable in Game Night. Yeah, he is. <laughs> While also, everyone's scared of him. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah, I mean, I I I love uh, I love Jesse Plemons. I I just. You're right. He does play a lot of, like, scary characters. <laughs> I would love to see him just play a guy. I mean, obviously, he yeah. must be, like, just an absolute sweetheart. Like, I, like him and Kirsten Dunst, like, I just love their love story that he was, like, he had a huge crush on Kirsten 
dunced at like growing up as a teenager like mm-hmm. he had like posters of her on his wall and then like <laughs> he ends up marrying her like that's so it's the cute. sweetest story yeah so obviously there's a sweet guy in there that that she fell oh, in love sure. with and i would love to see an opportunity for him to play this sort of unassuming like sweet guy yeah but i'm also absolutely fine with cameron Britton because i do think he would kill it let's do cameron Britton then yeah Jesse Plemons also very much should be, like, the lead of the movie. Not this movie, but he also very much should be. I'm sure there'll be some movie coming up that we're going to be talking about where we have some person who's going to be, like, needs to be a sweetheart who's going through some things and then something yeah. bad happens and they need to be a monster. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure Jesse Plemons would be really good at playing that. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> good. Then that brings us to Mia, who we both gender swapped. Yeah. Your turn to go first. Uh, I, I think this this is going to speak for itself. Natasha Leone. Yeah, fair. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, talk about impressions. Come on. <laughs> yeah, seeing, that's also true. Seeing him, seeing Thomas possessed by Natasha Leone and just doing the, uh, 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 you know, uh, you know, like that whole thing. And just adding the rasp to the throat. Yeah. Not like this, but like good. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that's just, that's just your Beetlejuice that you were just doing. <laughs> no, uh, my Beetlejuice is different. I was doing, um, uh, can you pass me my cigarette, sweetie? Oh, Mama sure, needs sure. to get a hit of joy. <laughs> sure, yeah. That's the voice I was doing. Um. Yeah. So Natasha Leone. I mean, I. I. I mean, she just. Uh, she's totally capable of nailing this energy, in her backwards and heels. You know, oh, like yes, it's, absolutely. Yeah. So this one felt like a no brainer for me. But I'm. I, I'm curious who you cast as Mia. <laughs> I went very one for one, not for Kira Sedgwick, but for like con man thief. Yeah. Uh, this is an actress who uh, has been in Hunters. She's been in Fear Street, and she plays Nami in One Piece. The con man thief, mm. who I I know you don't wa- haven't watched the show yet, but her name is Emily Rudd, completely mm. unrelated to Paul Rudd. <laughs> I I I checked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've seen Fear Street, so I'm obviously familiar with her from that. But uh, haven't seen One Piece, haven't seen Hunters. Obviously, we have to go to, with Natasha Leone. Like in terms of like people to go with, Natasha Leone's the correct choice. <laughs> If if this wasn't an ideal remake and we were going with the people we could afford, Emily Rudd would be the uh, would, yeah, be our, would, sure. would be our knockoff Natasha Leone. Sure, sure, fair enough. The, you know, a, a person who plays a redhead but is actually blonde. Oh, crazy, <laughs> bonkers. Ah, uh, what yeah. are the odds? <laughs> uh, All right, so good. Anne, Anne, and the bus driver are the other two people I have because they're the okay. only other people in the movie. Okay, yep, that's all I got too. So, uh, so then Anne. I wanted someone who uh, could keep up and mm. would be like just as dry wit, just as fun, who I think you and I both love, but like hasn't had as many opportunities to really shine because she, she's been in Flowers and she's been in Loki. And that's Sophia DiMartino. Oh, is she that plays... uh, female Loki? Yeah, that's Sylvie. Yeah. I mean, she's great. Yeah. She's really great. I I I love her. I'd love to see her uh, do something. My I I and she could totally play a producer mm-hmm. without a doubt. Like somebody's like put upon producer. 
um, some smug jerks uh, put upon a producer for sure. And genuinely, if we had decided that gender swapping the character would be a good choice, she would have been a good choice for a gender swap. That's true. But. Yeah, again, but it doesn't work. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. No, that's really good. I went with an actress named Freema Aguiman. Oh, I don't she, know who that is. She is most well known as the second companion of the Tenth Doctor, but she went on to be in lots of stuff. I mean, she's never stopped working. She's been on one, one goes from one show to another, long running show. But yeah, she's been in uh, Sense Eight, the Wachowski Sisters, Sense Eight, and Law and Order UK, um, which is the only watchable Law and Order, in my opinion. <laughs> because <laughs> the seasons are short and the episodes are better. Yeah, I don't know. I I really love her. I've loved her uh, since she was a companion. She's one of my favorite companions and she's underrated. Most people don't like her very much. Is she the one that was a Dalek that got turned into a person? No, no, that's Clara. Uh, that's way later, uh, actually. That's like three, three, four companions later. Um, I believe you. Yeah. Fair enough. No, for Freema Aguiman, you know, she is, she's just really capable of playing like very like headstrong and whatever. Like she was on the Carrie Diaries and she played this like fashion magazine guy. Like she was supposed to be kind of like a riff on like Devil Wears Prada, sort of. And uh, so she's really good at that, but she's also really good at playing like, I don't know, just everything. Like she's, she's Great. good at characters and stuff. And um, I believe you. I'm happy yeah. to go with her. Freema okay. Aguiman, it's a name I did not know. So I'm, more than happy to cast this person. That's all right. Great, fantastic. Let's do for Freeman Aguiman. Yeah. So tell right. me about uh, this bus driver you had. So I this one just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I I wasn't even like I was like because I, I wasn't even sure if he was going to be a bus driver or what. So like I I was like I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I'll get to that later. And then at one point or another. I was like, I don't know. I don't even think I was thinking about this episode. And then it just hit me like, oh, man, Brendan Fraser would be a great Hal the Bus Driver. That's an insane pull. (laughs) (laughs) Background. I just had a massive coughing fit and then came back and said that. That's wild. That's a nutso choice. I'm not opposed to that. Because <laughs> I was also just thinking, like, who could be, like, uh, sleazy, but also it's just, like, everybody loves him. And I, yeah. and, I, and it's like, I mean, you can't go wrong with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. I just went with sleazy and then occasionally people like him. Not loves. <laughs> okay. Likes. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd you go with? I went with good old Bradley Whitford. Oh. So playing yeah. a very high stakes character in For kind sure. of a low stakes position. Yeah. That's interesting. You know what's so funny is like Bradley Woodford, like I, I feel like I haven't even seen him be sleazy in a long time. Can't remember the last because you know, now he's got the silver hair, he's like the silver yeah. fox look. He's the he's the I would have voted for Obama third term if I could have. Yeah. He's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so funny because he did start out as like a sleaze bag, like Billy Madison, yeah. right? He's like mm-hmm. that was like the sleaziest sleaze bag. Um he was a weasel think is mm-hmm. what they called him in that movie no i love that and i love that we both went for like kind of they both came up around the same time very different yeah. kinds of guys They're very but... different vibes yeah but they could they both play this part very well yeah yeah all right uh i've gotten two you've gotten four all right bradley i mean Whitford it is i'm never gonna be opposed to bradley woodford being in a movie cool <laughs> yeah but both of those are like Brendan Fraser's a really good choice, though. That brings he also us to looks our like writer. a bus driver. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> like you, 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 you smudge him up a little bit, and you're just like, yes, just yeah. like you open the bus. And it's just Bradley Whitford, and he's like, "Are you getting on or what?" <laughs> also, it would be a funny gag uh, if you cast like Sandra Bullock or. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Can you imagine you open the door and Keanu Reeves is your bus driver? Right. Like that. Either one of those would actually be kind of a funny gag. That would be very, very funny. Or Alex Winter would be another funny gag just because yeah. of the connection to Keanu. Sure. Like the because because it's like the 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 door is a little bit like a phone booth door. I don't yeah. know. It's just yeah. all the connections we, we, we are get there. It. We we, yeah. we we see what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But yeah. All that's great. But we got we still got to do writer. We got director. I have separate writer and director. Do you have separate or a hyphen? It. I have separate. Okay. Then let's uh, let's talk about writer. I will tell you about my writer first. She is a TV writer. Actually, both of my people do TV. But I, I'm picking her because of the blend of things that she's worked on. Mm. Um, she's a Pixar writer. And she mm. recently was one of the writers on Elemental. Uh, she's also written on After Party. And she was a writer on How I Met Your Mother. Mm. This is a writer named Brenda Sue, H-S-U-E-H. And I wanted kind of the the sweet romance of Elemental with, you know, the crazy elements all around it. And then just like the the intricate pieces all working together of After Party. And then just the comedy of How I Met Your Mother, which is why I I pulled those three things from her resume. Yeah. Um, No, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good combo. It's definitely a good combo. Oh, she's also writing the uh, the animated Ghostbusters movie. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. No, that's a good combo. When I thought of this, I was like, okay, this is going to be like, this movie's very character dependent and the way yes. the characters interact with each other. And I was just trying to think of like, who is a writer? I just think absolutely nails character dynamics to the fucking wall every time. And is someone who like maybe has never written a movie before, but if they ever did, I would be fucking hyped. <laughs> I I went with Megan Gans. Okay. I don't I immediately oh, don't remember. Megan Gans is so Megan Gans is one of the showrunners of Mythic Quest. Uh, she okay. also wrote tons of the best episodes of Community, including one of the only good episodes of season four. Of community, <laughs> um, which was the Halloween episode where they're all trying to get out of that house, the the yeah the uh, the weird uh, escape room house yeah, yeah, yeah. Halloween episode, and uh, and and you know she's written uh, she also writes for uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia now, so she just she's really just like in that group of guys at this point. But uh, I've been a fan of hers for for a very long time. I think her community episodes are some of the best in the series. I just think that she's really great and Mythic Quest has phenomenal character work and everything she does is like all character first. And this is exactly the kind of movie that I would just like kill to see her write. So cool. Assuming it wasn't you. Right. Assuming it wasn't me. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Good choice. Who's your director? My director, uh, because I want this to be like top to bottom, tip to tail, like Halloween vibes. Right. I was like, what's another, what's a director who has done not the Halloween thing before? Because I don't want anyone to like repeat themselves. So who's done like, you know, maybe a Christmas movie that is like tip to tail, top to bottom, Christmas holiday vibes. I was like, what, 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 what's a recent director who's done that? And I was like kind of going through and I figured out 
that I think, th- and I was like, I was like the, the, the type of movie this is, everything about it sort of lines perfectly up with Paul Feig. Interesting. Okay. Because he did Last Christmas, and Last Christmas is very, like, schmaltzy and whatever, and you see the twist coming a mile away, but it's very Christmassy. I mean, it is like, he spared no expense in making this, like, just top to bottom Christmas vibes, the movie. In fact, that's what he could have called it. <laughs> and so the idea of him doing that with Halloween, with this movie, is something mm-hmm. I would be very interested in. And him directing it would almost, I say almost, almost guarantee that this would be in theaters, which is this. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know who created the show Other Space and first discovered Eugene Cordero? Our yeah, stars, Paul Feig. Right? Paul yeah. Feig. Yeah. So yeah, that's you true. Gotta go with Paul Feig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that makes sense, right? Kind of have to. Who was your director? My director, I pulled um, again a TV person, but I pulled because of kind of the the mishmash of things that uh, she did. Because she was a director on Loki, on Sex Education, on Daybreak. It's a director hmm. named Kate Heron. Oh yeah, Kate Heron for sure. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I love Kate Heron. Yeah, I mean Loki is impeccably directed, and she directed every episode. That's right. Yeah, that's basically like directing a movie. I mean, that's directing like two movies. Uh, So, yeah, that's great. Kate Heron's great. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, Uh, we have to do Paul Feig. But. (laughs) Well. So we have to do Paul Feig. And then I'm I'm more than happy to do Megan Gans. Okay. Sure. I mean, Brenda, uh, I can't pronounce her last name. Uh, Sue is also a phenomenal writer. And I think either of them would be great. But. Assuming we would want a little bit more of a bite, mm-hmm. Megan that's, Gans that's what I was just going to say. Probably yeah. what we would need. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I think she would, yeah, be able to play. A- I mean, I also wouldn't be opposed to Dan Levy writing this. Also true. Also a great writer. Absolutely. So, so yeah. I'm anyway. sure he'd do a pass. In, <laughs> probably. In that, At least that, on his that, dialogue, right? <laughs> correct. And, and that's yeah. how we get him to be a part of the movie. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's Heart and Souls. Yeah. Let's uh let let me take you through our cast list. Thomas Riley will be Eugene Cordero. Penny will be played by Danielle Brooks. Julian will be Dan Levy. Harrison Winslow will be Cameron Britton. Mia Peck will be Natasha Leone. Anne will be Freema Agima. Agiman. Yeah. Agiman. Yeah. Freema Agiman. The bus driver will be Bradley Whitford. All of this will be written by Megan Gans and then directed by Paul Feig. That is it's Heart and Souls. Yeah. Scott, you gonna go see this movie? Oh, hell yeah, I am. <laughs> you gonna you gonna subscribe to Stars to watch this movie? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for a having me watch this movie. This movie was very, very sweet, very nice. I loved watching it. That's uh that's a relief to hear after your reaction to defending your life. Yeah, I'm sorry. So. <laughs> 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 so every, this is good. everyone in this movie was nice everyone in that movie was mean that's true that is true that was a much more uh cynical movie except for the ending yeah yeah and you know it's it's also a thing where like every once in a while i think of a movie and i'm like oh my god that's a perfect ideal remake episode and this was definitely one of those a hundred percent yeah this and father of the bride were the two that i was like oh this is perfect this yeah. is Good. exactly right. Are are you happy with where we ended up? Oh yeah, very much so. <laughs> I I think this is a, I think this would be a great movie, and I think uh, I think Universal should really let someone remake this. Just saying. I mean, Universal, it's IP. That's all the requirement you have <laughs> yes. these days. Yeah, it's true. And there you go. 
Yeah, it's worthless IP, but it's IP all the same. Nonetheless. <laughs> cool. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being my guest uh, for this episode. Why don't you... One thing, one thing I forgot Uh-oh, to bring okay. up. I Please. did make a list of possible songs that they could sing. Because in oh. this, they sing Walk Like a Man, which was they weird did. because they're all singing a song that came out after they died. Um, I, I didn't... I mean, I'm sure it was... Pl- how soon after they died? I'm sure it was playing on the radio when they all got into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was 66 is when that song hit. So they oh. died in 59. Well, that actually does work. Yeah, yeah, because they're ghosts and they're like hearing yeah. the music he's listening to. But yeah, it's just interesting. They have like a whole routine Yeah, when it's like a song they all learned kind of recently. <laughs> so then are you... So then we need a song that came out in the late 90s? I no, it would be it would be the like either the um I I chose either the late 80s or like kind of early 90s because it's from when they were alive. Well, the 80s one would have been from when they were alive and the 90s one would have been from when they were sure, like sure. ghosts yeah, with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. In the in the 90s one, I was like cuz I was trying to think of like ones that like a big group of people could sing together, mm-hmm. right? And so <laughs> I went with for for the nineties, I either went with ironic for Alanis from Alanis Morissette. Oh my god. Which is just <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like a bunch of people just belting out ironic by Alanis Morissette. <laughs> or I was I was waffling between No Rain by Blind Melon and What's Up by Four Non Blondes. Uh I think all any of those could be like big singing numbers. <laughs> All right. That are like era specific, I guess. But uh, anyway, plugs, uh, uh, everything on Dueling Genre. Go check that out. Go check out my podcast, Franchiseography. We'll be talking about the Mummy movies when you guys hear this throughout October. We're talking about the Mummy, that franchise on Franchiseography. Uh, It was a listener pick. Everyone really likes that first movie. And then they made us watch all the other ones. (laughs) (laughs) So... That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, The Mummy Returns, a very good sequel for possible ideal remake episode. That's true. Sequel ideas are always fun. Just putting that out there. In any event. Something for next year. Yeah. Check that out. It's franchiseography. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or on the uh, duelinggenre.com website. And Geek by Night, my uh, the, the original scripted narrative audio drama that I podcast, that I, I, I write with uh, Cass Fredrickson and Nick Jimenez, who will be joining me on this very show sometime this month. Next episode? Maybe the next episode. Maybe the one after that. We don't know yet. We'll figure it out. Uh, we, uh, we do this show called Geek by Night, and it's coming back with its final batch of episodes. In fact, it is entirely likely that the first episode is back, as of you hearing this. I believe. So yeah, I think the, I think that math checks out. Um, if I'm remembering <laughs> my dates, it's either about to come out or it just did Yeah, yeah, yeah. in any event. Yeah. Check all of those things out. If you, if you like my uh, vibe, I don't know. <laughs> and then, and then you can tell us how much you enjoyed these things by joining the dueling genre uh, pay, uh, discord. Yes. Yes. I mean, also Patreon. Patreon too. Also absolutely. join the Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of stuff. A- absolutely. That'd be great. <laughs> join all the dueling genre things. So yeah. Thank you, Sam. You're welcome, Scott. If you're interested in following me on social medias, I'm on Blue Sky at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H, or the podcast is on Instagram, but it's mostly just me on Instagram, posting pictures of me on strike whenever I get a chance to actually go, at Ideal Remake. Yeah, 
or leave any of Scott's or any of my one podcast uh, review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people who have never heard of the podcast find them. And that would be lovely. So yeah, thank you once again for being a part of this episode. So Scott, I will end this episode the same way I end every episode. What is your favorite quote from the movie Heart and Souls? I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's just some, there, there's something, there's not, this isn't like the most quotable movie, I would say. It's not. So, so I'm just going to quote Charles Grodin's Harrison because there's just something about his neuroses that I just find so charming, <laughs> which is the line where he's like, I'm telling you, I always fail. Then my whole life will be a complete failure. <laughs> Bless his heart. Charles Grodin. Yeah. R.I.P. It's <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Scott. Bye-bye.